So we're starting a new sermon series called American Idol. And, um, and the first um, sermon in that is A God in My Image. Uh, and this American Idol sermon series, has it came out of our, work, our teaching team planning meeting. And we were just kind of like, all right, what is the Lord doing in us in our own study and our own devotion? That's kind of always how we start that. And um, Ben has started leading us through that. Uh, and now, uh, and we got to a place where we started talking about so many different things in which were either having us share allegiance with God <laughs> um, or having, honestly, for some of us, even there, there are things that are more important to us. They take a priority over God. Uh, and as we mature, we learn to kind of bring some of those things down, but we're constantly in this kind of battle for, am I going to have things be equal with God in terms of my priorities or below God? Um, and there are some particular idols in American culture that um, we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. Um, so that's why we titled the sermon series American Idol. Um, and uh, so the, the first one will actually be talking about ourselves <laughs> uh, because that's a real thing. We'll talk through that in today's sermon. Um, but uh, the next week it's ideological idolatry. So my thoughts, my ideas, my opinions, my words, my feelings, my, <laughs> right? Um, uh, and then we'll actually talk about nationalism because that's a real thing too. Um, and then the last thing is the ways in which re our relationships uh, can become idols as well. Here's one challenge when it comes to idolatry. We oftentimes don't think about how abstract our religion is. Our worship of God is incredibly abstract. And what I mean by that is it's not like it, there's, yes, our faith in God has been shown over time that there's a pattern to it, there's a rhythm to what it is to have faith in God, but I think the very nature of it being faith means it's not concrete either. There is an element to trusting in God, worshiping God, that is, I believe that this being I cannot see is alive. I believe that this being I cannot touch with my hands is real. And that abstract faith transitions into our idolatry. So when, oftentimes when we think about idols, we're thinking about little tiki men, right? Like, so I'm just going to make sure I don't have any of the little statues. But because our faith is abstract, American idolatry is also abstract. And so all of the things that we'll end up talking about have that abstract nature to it where it's like, is that really idolatry? So I'm going to need you to have a moment where you allow some conviction to set in and be real with ourselves because that's okay. For some of us, these things will not be idols, and that's all right. Just pray <laughs> because all of us being a part of American culture even those of us who are immigrants, we're here now swimming in this idolatry soup. <laughs> so there's some, to some degree, an idol calling out to us. In 2 Timothy, uh, 
we'll be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, kind of as our primary. But we're going to actually start in Exodus chapter 20, because uh, I want to read um, this commandment. You must not have any other God but me. That's a commandment, a commandment that many of us are familiar with. God continues to speak through Moses, saying, you must, not, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. I say, I kind of put some emphasis on or on purpose, because oftentimes we start to think you may not make for yourself an idol of any kind and an image. Um, that or puts some separation that should make us actually think th this first part is a thought in and of itself. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. That could be a period. It's, if it was and, it would add some details to it. There's some separation. Don't make for yourself an idol of any kind. And then he continues to further elaborate or also an image of anything in heaven or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. <laughs> we talk about God being loving. We talk about God being merciful. Those are some things that we write songs about and we like to sing it. What a beautiful name it is. <laughs> There's also a jealous part of God too. And that's okay. God gets to be dynamic and multifaceted. He doesn't have to be just the fun things I want of God. He doesn't have to be just the beautiful things I want to see. God can be whatever God wants to be. And in this particular passage of Scripture, God wants to be jealous. God wants to say, I don't share well. I don't do it. Okay? Christine and I have been watching um, some episodes of a show about... Um, uh, a polygamous marriage, so like sister wives, because we're like, what is happening? <laughs> There's a psychology part to it that both of us are pretty fascinated by, like, who just does this? <laughs> God does not want more, does not want us to have more than one God. He's like, I don't do poly anything. <laughs> okay? I'm the only one, period. I will not tolerate your affections for other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. There was a part of me that didn't want to put that there because that feels too heavy sometimes. But there was that word for those, those words for those who reject me. If God will not tolerate our affection for other gods, the idea of having other gods, even to be equal with or share a throne with God, feels like rejection to him. And that's something that we should have to be on the foundation of our thinking when it comes to idolatry. The idea that you would even have someone share a seat with God is a rejection of God. And then the last portion of Scripture in this verse that we'll read, 
But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. This picture is kind of what I was talking about before in terms of idols. Oftentimes, the, like we walk into a restaurant here and we see a little Buddha, we're like, mm, idols. <laughs> we go on vacation, we see little statues in the gift shop, mm, not going home with me. I think we need to have a real moment about what idols are before we move on. Every faith system is abstract, not just ours. It's just many other faith systems have not been given the command to not make statues. But this is not a God in and of itself. It's just an, an image of what spirit they're worshiping. They've just given the spirit they're worshiping a body so that they can point to and say, that's the one. Family, if we don't get that, we'll do some weird things with crosses. Listen, I know I just stepped on some of y'all toes. But if we don't understand that all faith systems are just as abstract, there is a spirit being worshipped that some artist put a body to, we'll do some weird things with crosses. We'll start bowing in front of crosses because I got to go sit at the foot of the cross. We'll start doing some interesting things with crosses that really are no different than this. So I'm just saying that so that we know the people there, the people who made statues, made idols, they weren't dumb. They weren't, there was a spirit that actually benefited, that benefited them in their worship. I will worship you and things happen. If there was no pattern to I give you my allegiance and you do this for me, these spirits would not continue to be worshiped. And I know we don't talk about that for real. I know we don't spend a lot of time processing that, but there were, there were gods that were designed, or not designed, there were gods that benefited people in procreation. So the pattern was if you worship this God, then this God will allow you to have children. If there was no pattern to that happening, people would have stopped. Human beings haven't changed that much and they weren't dumb back then. There was a pattern that happened. There's a God that can do something for you. If you worship that God, then you will experience this. Idols are not statues. Idols are powerful beings that benefit you if you give your allegiance to it. Period. That's an idol. Whether it comes with a statue or not doesn't matter. A powerful being something that promises you power. And when you actually worship, you actually experience that power. Because if you didn't experience that power, you wouldn't keep worshiping it. If we continue to live in the lie and pretend that 
no other power but God exists, then we fall into the trap of worshiping other idols as well because we won't actually see that our allegiance has crossed over to a space of worship. It's not just that I like this thing. It's not that I just see what this thing can do for me. I'm actively surrendering to it. But because I'm believing the lie that only God, Yahweh, has power to move in my life, then I won't see that I'm actually allowing some powerful entity to share a seat with him. Idols don't look like this. That's just a statue. But there is a spirit that that idol, that that statue represents. And that's what's being worshipped. And that spirit actually does have the ability to grant some favors for us. And I know this got really weird and scary for many of us. But I don't want us to, I don't want us to pretend. This is the opening for this whole sermon series. And so we're not going to be real about nationalism if we don't actually believe that there are spiritual beings promising us things that when we give our allegiance, we actually receive some, of, some power back. Because if it didn't happen, we would not actually be worshiping them. So, as that is a foundation, <laughs> this next picture is the God that we're talking about today. Me. Me. You can very easily in American culture make yourself a god. And you would actually be rewarded for doing so. You might not put a big picture of yourself over the fireplace mantle and speak to yourself in that way. Oh, Chase. Grant me a good day. May my will be done. May my kingdom come on earth as it was in my dreams. We may never actually say that, but let's not trick ourselves into believing that that's not something that we're taught regularly in our culture to do. <laughs> right? The whole, like, trend happening, especially on the West Coast, called manifesting <laughs> and it's trickling over here too <laughs> that's a real thing and for those of us who are like what does that mean manifesting ultimately as you just kind of continue to place your thoughts on something and you believe then you kind of cause it to become in fruition in your life I manifest myself a new car so you just continue to put your thoughts on it and you continue to affirm that that's happening in your life. You continue to bring that energy toward you. Listen, <laughs> that works really well within a cultural context where we get to be our own gods. I want to read in Second uh, Timothy. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. 
they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. Some of y'all are like disobedient to their parents. That's exactly what I've been saying. No. <laughs> That's one aspect. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. <laughs> okay, listen, I know that Paul isn't writing about what's happening in social media on, in 2022. But my Lord, if he wasn't prophesying. No. <laughs> Listen, he was like, like God just like opened up time a little bit and says, just write this down real quick. <laughs> the interesting thing is he's not talking about sinners as in individuals who are not in relationship with God. He says in verse 5, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. <laughs> he's talking about us. <laughs> Believers individuals who have a relationship with creator God will be puffed up, prideful, disobedient to parents. And let's be real, that's not just those who have biologically given life to me, my elders. The best way for us to interpret that is I will disregard, they will disregard their elders. If he's not describing Popular Christian culture in the United States of America, he's like, I don't know what's happening right now. And yes, there are other cultures all around the world that exhibit this too, but right now we're talking about American idols. So this is true of us. It may not be true of you individually, and I pray that it's not true of us as a family, but let's, let's go a little bit higher up and look at the church overall. Christians in America are lovers of themselves. They are boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient and or disregarding their elders, and ungrateful. They consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They slander others and have no self-control. They are cruel and hate what is good. They betray their friends and are reckless and are puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. I know that's not every Christian. I get that. But that there is an idol in the United States of America that calls us to actually exhibit those kinds of behaviors in our relationship to God and our relationship to one another and our relationship to the rest of the world. I want to read something and I'm going to put it up here. We hold these truths to be self-evident, <laughs> that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Some of you, that's like we get excited about those words. There is an element to this that they, this, Declaration of Independence was not, a, was not a statement about religion. And in truth, it's really not even fully a statement about what we fully believe about how humans should interact. It was a statement 
to say, we have been living in this kind of government and we don't like it. <laughs> so I'm going to make a statement that is in some ways in opposition to that. I cannot pursue life, liberty, and happiness in this government, and I want to. So I'm going to. So that's really what the Declaration of Independence is about, right? You can read through it. There's some really great things in there about changing over to a different kind of government. But we like this part. This is the part we repeat over and over again. We hold these truths to be self-evident, right? Is it a truth that is self-evident? that you have a right to pursue happiness? Is that a truth? That's self-evident, that God creator has made it so that you get to just pursue whatever makes you happy? <laughs> That's not a self-evident truth. That is a cultural dynamic that is actually falsehood <laughs> in the kingdom of God. We are not as believers it is not something we are created in to pursue our own life and our liberty and or happiness. Actually, the Bible is pretty clear about the fact that I don't have life, liberty, and happiness separate from my pursuit of creator God. And I know this is not explicitly saying that this is, you know, without God. I know that's not what that's saying. But if we're also honest, it's also not saying what is true. It's also not saying that you as an individual are subject and surrender to the will of the Father. And really, the pursuit is His will. So here's the challenge that makes me a God in American culture whatever makes me happy is a priority. And some of us, church makes us happy. So we go to church. And the moment it stops making us happy, we leave. If I'm living in West Michigan, Christian culture makes me happy. And it allows me to be able to function and flourish here. But if I move to San Francisco where it is not the most, most popular way of being, I'll sit it down real quick because it doesn't actually help me in a job interview to tell them what church I go to. There are character traits based upon who we are as believers that serve us really well in a Christian context, but the reality is the moment we're out of that Christian context, i.e. college campuses that aren't Christian, I'll put it down real quick. High school, I'll put it down very, very quickly. When I'm with my friends that occasionally enjoy illicit drugs, I'll put it down real quickly. Why? Because there is a part of me here in the United States of America, there is an idol that says, you get to do you, boo. You get to do you, boo. Whatever makes you happy, God will be okay with. As long as you ain't hurt nobody else. And that's actually not truth. That is not a self-evident truth. It really isn't. 
It really isn't. I have to be okay with knowing that this is something that actually serves the country I live in really well, but does not actually function well within the kingdom of God. I, it is not a self-evident truth within the culture of the kingdom of God that I get to pursue whatever life I want, whatever happiness I want, and whatever freedom I want. Nope. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. The kingdom of God is a dictatorship. We serve a benevolent dictator, but let's be real. You don't get to decide what you do this morning. And all of a sudden, God's supposed to just be okay with it. And the moment that I believe I do, I start bringing in some American idols into the church. Oh, I know. Some of us, we already started this sermon series. I'm like, wait a minute, that's my idol. <laughs> I'm my idol. And to some degree, we're also raised in our culture. We repeat things about what you want, even with our kids. And there's some health to it. I get it. I'm not saying throw it all away. But I am saying that there's also some health in the culture of the kingdom of God. How, what are you hearing that the Lord is saying about your life? Have, you, have we ever asked an eight-year-old, what are you hearing the Lord say about what you should be when you grow up? <laughs> As opposed to just saying over and over again, you can be what you want to be, which is not untrue for American culture. But in the culture of the kingdom of God, what are you hearing the Father say about what you should do with your life? And when they say, I don't know, let's pray about it together. I don't know, I'm stepping on people's idols. I know, that's kind of what this whole sermon series is about. So if you feel uncomfortable, welcome to the family. There is an element to this that is uncomfortable and should convict us. I wake up in the morning seeking my own will. And all throughout the day, I am creating a God in my own image for me to declare my allegiance to. What do I want? What makes me feel good today? Most of our marriages would be healthier if that idol wasn't there. Most of our friendships would be steadier if that idol wasn't there. Most of our relationships at work would make more sense if that idol wasn't there of what makes me feel good in this moment. Most of our time and devotion would be more fruitful if the idol wasn't what makes me feel good in this moment. And I know that that's, I don't know, toes, curl them in real quick. Most of us would be in different churches too if it wasn't what makes me feel good right now. It's okay. It's all right. We get to be honest. Some of us have abandoned what God was doing because it didn't make us feel good. Believing the voice of the idol that says, Chase, you get to pursue your happiness. 
But there is another spirit. There is a voice that says, pursue the will of the Father. That says, my happiness will be most complete within the will of the Father. So the challenge for us will always be this throughout this sermon series to not allow that conviction to cause us to run, but to stare at it. Have I listened to that spirit? Not, not am I worshiping myself. Have I obeyed that spirit, that idol that says, Chase, you get to do you, boo. Have I obeyed that spirit? And if I have, let the conviction set in and then repent. God, I know that you've given us a sense of will. And here's the truth. You made it so I can do whatever I want. But as a member of your family, it is a part of what it is to be a citizen of the kingdom of God to surrender to your will. So I surrender my will to yours. May I pursue your will, Father, the life that you have for me. I want to pursue and the freedom that you design, not just me doing whatever I want. That's not real freedom. Your will for me, I want. I repent of asking you to find pleasure in my pursuit of happiness. Oftentimes we want God to bend his will toward ours. Bless it, God. It's, nope. God, what do you want from me? And where I disagree Give me grace to fall in line. I want to pray. <laughs> but I also want to take a moment before I pray. There's things that perhaps have stirred up in some of us. And there's an antsiness. If I can put that antsiness into words, generally speaking, if you didn't have you sharing the throne of your life with God, you'd be very content hearing about removing you from the throne. But if there's a piece of you sitting on the throne, even if it's the corner, like, like right? I'm not fully taken up the seat. I just want the corner, God. Like, I just want the, I mean, I'm holding myself up most of the point, right? <laughs> there's a part of you that is feeling like you're getting nudged off. Let it happen. Let the Holy Spirit take up the whole bench. <laughs> so in that antsiness, let's just sit for a second.
Lord, you see where we have placed ourselves on your throne. And even the nuance different and sometimes what feels like the thin line between the autonomy and authority in our life that you've given us and the ultimate authority that you have and our surrender in that process. You see the line. You see how far we are from it. You see where I want to be on your seat in my life. You see where I am wielding my own authority and my own desires above that of yours. And you see, God, where in my life I have placed myself equal to you. You see where I have bought into the lie that I get to be a self-determining individual. You see where the idea of my happiness is a God for me. Holy Spirit, forgive us. We repent, Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you have covered our sin in your grace and your blood. But we also look squarely at it. We don't pretend that it's not there. Help us to understand the line of where you give us grace to decide what we're doing and where we absolutely need to just be in your will. Give us wisdom to see that. Because in truth, with this idol here in our country, it's hard for us to see it. We repent. And rightfully place you as the priority even over my own desires. You are the priority over my desires, God. You, your will, your desires, God, what you see above what I see and what I know. And give me grace to trust you in that, even when, even when it's not exactly what I want and it doesn't make me feel good. We surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.